Season two of HBO's Euphoria has come to an end. And like a lot of fans of the show, I'm left with questions. Like, is this the only time Maddie's going to beat up Cassie? Maddie, no! Maddie, no, 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 no! Or where's Lori, the drug dealer Rue owes $10,000? Ruby Bennett, I'm so happy to see you. And why did we have to sit through a four-minute guitar solo from Elliot? Gave you away to the wind I hope it was worth it in the end But one of my biggest lingering questions is what will happen to Rue? We've seen Rue, expertly played by actress Zendaya, struggle with addiction to opioids for two seasons. And this season, she came dangerously close to destroying herself. But on the last episode, the show neatly ties up that storyline in the last few minutes when Ruth says she stayed clean for the rest of the year, which seems to set up a time jump in season three. I wish I could say that was a decision I made. In some ways, it was just easier. The show's creator, Sam Levinson, spent a lot of the season focusing on Rue's addiction and very little time on her recovery, which felt hollow and rushed to a lot of viewers. Welcome to Pop Cultured. I'm Bridget Armstrong. Euphoria is one of the most talked about shows on television. Fans praise the show for what they see as a realistic portrayal of drug addiction. Critics say the show glamorizes addiction and drug use. So today, a conversation about euphoria, depicting drug addiction on television, and the line between reality and glorification. Drug addiction has showed up in our media for a while. There was an early 1936 movie that warned against the effects of weed called Reefer Madness. You're crazy. Take it easy, kid. I just want to talk to you. <laughs> In the clip, smoking weed drives a man to beat another man to death for no reason. It's overdramatic, pretty ridiculous, and funny to watch now. But the concern that anyone could be transformed into a violent maniac after getting high was something people actually feared. And that showed up on TV, too. We're focusing on television, partially because we're talking about euphoria, but also because portraying drug use on television seems to cause the most hand-wringing, maybe because it's more accessible, especially for young people. Even before we understood drugs or that addiction is a disease, we were watching it on television. Some of the earliest examples were on police procedurals. It was Tuesday, March 15th. It was fair in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of juvenile narcotics. My partner's Bill Gannon. The boss is Captain Ritchie. My name's Friday. The very first episode of the 1967 reboot of Dragnet was about a kid on LSD. A powerful new drug capable of producing weird and dangerous hallucinations had found its way onto the streets of the city. It had fallen into the hands of juvenile experimenters. We had to try and stop it. The officers get a call about a teenager in a vacant lot acting erratically. When they arrive, they find a young man with his head buried in the ground. And when he comes up, half of his face is painted yellow, the other half is blue. What's your name, son? Don't you know my name? My name's Blue Boy. What do you think, Joe? Cardwheels? Or sugar cubes? I'll make you bookies. He's been dropping that acid we've been hearing about. 
The detectives arrest the teenager, but they aren't able to hold him because LSD isn't illegal. In the real world, the drug had been classified a dangerous and illegal substance in California the year before. But on the show, the laws passed too late and Blue Boy dies of an overdose after throwing an acid party. And that wasn't the only time Dragnet took on drug use. On another episode called The Big High, Friday and his partner are called to check out a tip about two neglectful drug addict parents. Their drug of choice? Marijuana. We have a report you and your husband have been smoking marijuana. The couple throws these pot parties in which they get absolutely catatonic. And during one of them, they get so high, they forget about their baby, who drowns in the bathtub. Of course, a storyline like that sounds a little absurd now because we know more about the effects of marijuana and because public opinion on weed has shifted. Even though the substances may have changed, police procedurals still incorporate drugs into episodes to depict the legal and criminal consequences of addiction. Soap operas have also been working drug use and addiction into storylines for decades. Because soaps come on daily, they were always in need of plot twists and drama and drugs sometimes provided a convenient solution. There were lots of storylines where characters were drugged against their wills and then did outrageous stuff. Drugs were also used to explain the erratic behavior of villains and other troublemaking characters. But one of the most notable characters to struggle with drugs on a soap opera showed up on One Life to Live in 1969. Kathy Craig appeared on One Life to Live for more than a decade. In her early years, she was a neglected kid turned troubled teen who eventually turned to drugs. What? What happened to them? Where'd they all go? Wow, I must have been hitting these pills pretty heavy. Oh, murder, now what do we do? Daddy's prescription pad. Daddy's prescription pad. She became an addict and, in one of the plot climaxes, kills her dealer. Kathy Craig was eventually sent to rehab. The show referenced a real-life treatment center, the Odyssey House in New York City. And at the time, One Life to Live was praised for depicting the reality of addiction. Well, as real as it can be on a soap opera. The storyline was one of the first to show addiction recovery on television. Eventually, drugs started to make a more regular appearance on sitcoms, in the form of the very special episode. These episodes were usually a lot more serious than the show's normal tone. And the promos would have taglines like, the episode no parent wants to miss. And they usually follow certain formats. The character would develop a drug problem over the course of the episode. That would be resolved by the end of the episode. Or the character would meet a new friend or family member who was either struggling with drugs are pressuring the beloved character to do drugs. But of course, the conflict would be resolved by the end of the episode, and we would never hear from the wayward character on drugs again. We first started seeing this in the 1970s on Norman Lear-created shows like Good Times. There's something we have to tell you about Diana. She has a problem. Honey, a serious problem. Much like today, heroin addiction was a real problem in the 70s. But back then, it disproportionately affected black and brown people. 
while the drug-themed very special episode wasn't prevalent yet, addiction may have been less taboo to audiences because it was explored on a show with a predominantly Black cast, whether that was right or wrong. Diana is... Diana is on drugs. Oh, come on now. You're making that up. I don't believe you. I know it's hard to accept, but it's the truth. Diana's... She's a junkie. No. Julia, she's shooting dope. Not all shows approach drug use the same. During the 70s, attitudes towards marijuana use started to shift, and shows like Sanford and Son and Three's Company made light of smoking weed. But that all shifted in the 80s with the Reagan-era war on drugs. This is your brain. This is drugs. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? By the time we got to the 80s and 90s, pretty much every sitcom did a very special episode. And a lot of them attempted to tackle drug addiction in the rushed, totally sappy and unrealistic way that only a 30-minute sitcom can. A lot of these portrayals were ham-fisted and showed a dangerously unrealistic depiction of recovery. They reflected people's fears about addiction and were more like PSAs or after-school specials than sitcom episodes. On Family Ties, Alex Keaton, the character played by Michael J. Fox, becomes addicted to speed while trying to keep up with exams and scholarship applications. Valerie, you gave him the pills? (sighs) She didn't want it, Mom. I pressured her into getting them from Effie. She even tried to talk me out of it. Of course, he conveniently kicks his habit by the end of the episode. It was like you were a different person. Well, uh, the old Alex is back. Never thought I'd say this, but... I'm glad to see you. On Punky Brewster, Punky is initiated into a sixth-grade gang and pressured to try drugs. Go ahead, girls. Take your pick. Are these drugs? Just some grass, a few uppers, and a little nose candy. Nose candy? Cocaine. That episode was named after Nancy Reagan's anti-drug slogan, Just Say No. Weed also made an appearance on The Cosby Show when the Huxtable parents find a joint in Theo's textbook. I came in here and I accidentally knocked Theo's book off the table and found this. Maybe he's doing a book report on drug abuse and he's using this as a visual aid. And of course, the spliff in question belongs to a friend we never see again. In the 90s, TV writers seemed to be obsessed with short-term pill addictions. The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air took on drugs when Carlton accidentally develops an addiction to speed. Um, those pills that you took weren't vitamins. What were they? Look, you gotta promise you're not gonna overreact. What could be worse than finding out I'm still a virgin? (laughs) It was speed. Oh my God, I'm a drug addict and a virgin. (laughs) On Saved by the Bell, Jesse becomes addicted to caffeine pills. It was originally supposed to be speed, but producers were worried that it might send the wrong message. Hey, just calm down. It's okay. You're right. It's okay. Everything will be okay. Yeah. I just need one of these. Pills? You mean you really are taking drugs? I need them. Jesse, give me those. I need them back. I have to sing. Jesse, you can't sing tonight.
And teen shows weren't the only ones that depicted addiction. Betty White's character, Rose on The Golden Girls, reveals a decades-long pill addiction she didn't even realize she had. How long have you been taking these pills? I guess around 30 years. 30 years? Rose, I doubt that your doctor wanted you to take those things for 30 years. What makes you such a medical expert? The doctor prescribed those pills, and I only take them when I need them. Have you ever considered the possibility that you might be dependent on them? Are you calling me an addict? Well, I really resent that. The very special episode largely went out of fashion in the early aughts and 2010s, although recently the Connors and the reboot of One Day at a Time took on drug addiction. When it came to television targeted to millennials, TV networks seemed to have no qualms about depicting drug use. In the 2000s and 2010s, TV shows started to incorporate drug addiction into longer character arcs. Like Deb Scott on One Tree Hill, who deals with the pill addiction for several seasons. I messed up so many things. Things I can't fix. How long is this going to take? I'm running low on minutes this month. Please be good to Nathan. I failed him too many times to count. He deserves so much better. Deb, you gotta stop taking those pills. It's all right now. They're all gone. Skins was a British show that followed the lives of a group of teenagers. The teens used drugs recreationally a lot throughout the series. And while it did portray the effects of addiction, it wasn't the focus of the show. The original Gossip Girl series was accused of glorifying drug use. The main character, Serena, uses cocaine recreationally. Shows like Breaking Bad and The Wire took on the drug trade and dramatized its impact on users and dealers. Even now, FX's Snowfall dramatizes the rise of the crack epidemic in Los Angeles in the 80s. And we see the way crack changed the lives of the people who sold it and the people who became addicted to it. One of these people trying to help you, all right? And you just talking shit to get yourself thrown out so you can be back on the street smoking. I paid the hospital to let you stay long, all right? Give you a second chance. Shows like Nurse Jackie and House feature characters who are medical professionals and challenge notions about who becomes addicted to drugs. I'm fine. <laughs> What's going on? He hasn't had Vicodin in over a day. Orange is the New Black depicts how a lot of people struggling with addiction end up in prisons that aren't equipped to help them. BoJack Horseman is a cartoon that ironically has been called one of the most realistic depictions of drug addiction. But it's euphoria that's renewed the conversation about the line between gritty reality and glorification. Lexi McMiniman is the news and politics editor at Teen Vogue. And they wrote about what it's like to watch Ruth struggle with addiction on Euphoria as a person who's seen the effects of addiction close up. I have a lot of people in my life who either, like in my immediate family and in like my wider family who have personal lived experience with addiction that has resulted in them becoming incarcerated or I have family members who have died of overdoses. The way Euphoria depicts addiction is a lot different than what Lexi saw on television growing up. Growing up with addiction in my house, there was very few like portrayals of it that felt in any way real. 
one that's on like the back of my mind is the original series of skins with the character of Chris. He, he like has an overdose. And I thought that was like a really credibly done depiction of addiction because at no point do you not love Chris. He is the most loved character of that season. So to me, those depictions that like leave room for the possibility that you can love someone through what they're experiencing are universally the most valuable. But I don't think I saw a lot of that growing up early 2010s, I guess. Fans of the show have praised Zendaya for bringing reality and humanity to Rue's struggle with drug addiction. But there are some critics, including representatives from the D.A.R.E. anti-drug program, who say Euphoria actually glamorizes addiction and drug use. Euphoria is only one in the really long legacy of teen shows that are trying to work around the obvious limitations of depicting minors by casting older people who therefore are very hot. And that's also marketable, right? And having this whole like aestheticization of youth that is a really problematic part of our culture. And so to say that Euphoria is glamorizing something in its depiction is totally legitimate. But I think to suggest that it's glamorizing drug use, if you watch the show... It is glamorizing cute eye makeup and it's glamorizing the miasma of being a teenager and like the romance of having all this time to yourself, but no autonomy. But all of the scenes of Rue's drug usage, pretty much from the first episode, I would say, are not glamorizing drug use at all. In fact, I think it constantly reminds the viewer of how it is objectively ruining her life and leading her on a path to suicide, essentially. And I think it's hard to argue that the show romanticizes or glamorizes suicide. I think it's pretty clear that everyone in the show is constantly trying to pull Rue back from the brink, constantly trying to intervene. The night that episode five aired, which is the episode where the series, I think, spends the most time with Rue's addiction this season, people were just like, This is the opposite of glamorizing. I don't want to take Tylenol after watching this episode. (laughs) To a lot of viewers, episode five of this past season is one of the most intense 50 minutes of the show. Rue's been doing drugs for pretty much the whole season and hiding it from her family and most of her friends. And episode five is when it all comes to light. Her mother and sister confront her about her drug use, and it doesn't go well. Jules told me everything. What did you do, Mom? What did you do, Mom? What did you do? Okay. Okay. It's gonna be okay. Baby, it's gonna be okay. No, it's not gonna be okay. You don't know. Fuck. It wasn't mine. Then whose is it? Fuck. Huh? I'm calling the police. No, you can't. You can't do that. You will not attack me in my own home. I want your own home. I raised you. I did. Okay. And you do not fucking scare me. No. Rue says awful things to her mother, Leslie, and her sister, Gia. Then she goes on a withdrawal-induced crime spree that honestly left me with a lot of questions. Like, who's going to pay for all the damage she caused to people's backyards? And are the police just going to overlook her little breaking and entering adventure? The episode is intense and shows just how desperate addiction has made Rue. And it's one of the reasons Lexi decided to write about the show. They said growing up, they hadn't seen addiction portrayed in such a raw and gutting way on television. And they wonder how things might have been different if they had. 
watching a scene like that depicted by somebody like Zendaya, who was in Marvel movies and like the face of several beauty brands. I just feel like it's such a shift culturally from the way that we treated drug addiction in the 2000s, which was like very like in, in like salacious tabloid coverage of celebrities. So to see somebody who is like a former Disney star, very wholesome, as far as I know, is a sober person in real life, have like a real mental health crisis in which objectively Rue is emotionally abusive towards her family members and her friends and the people who care about her. It was really poignant for me to be able to see that because I've been in like Gia and Leslie's shoes. I've been the person listening to someone I love be completely unable to like access reality by no fault of their own. And it's so hard reasoning with someone who you love who cannot protect themselves and cannot protect you from them either. It's like this horrible push and pull. If I had been watching Skins or Gossip Girl or whatever in high school and been able to see something like this taken seriously and as like the major moral panic that it is, but not in terms of glamorizing, just in terms of survival and what that means for how we humanize people. I just wonder if having seen somebody like Zendaya would have made me feel less alone at the time. And I think that's valuable. I think making people know that like things that you're being told are stigmatized aren't things that you actually have to like hate yourself over is how we slowly but surely kind of unpick that trauma that is what makes it so hard to get to the actual part where we figure out the solutions. On the episode after Rue's Night of Terror, we get a glimpse into Rue's recovery and how hard it is on her family. While Rue tries to stay clean and reconcile with the loved ones she hurt while she was high, Leslie's trying to navigate the healthcare system. It all culminates in this gut-wrenching scene at the end of the episode where Rue's mom finds out that the rehab facility she'd been counting on doesn't have a bed for Rue. You don't understand my daughter, okay? She's a drug addict, okay? And she's going to kill herself. Please, I am begging you, please, okay? She needs to be in an inpatient, not just the detox. She needs to be put back into rehab. No, don't. Please listen to me. I know my daughter. She is going to kill herself. Please don't do this. Please. Watching that scene where Leslie is on the phone begging for a bed for Rue is so real. Unfortunately, that scene captures the reality for a lot of people struggling with addiction. The process of helping someone navigate having an addiction or a mental health crisis in this country is unacceptable. It's simply egregious. It is dehumanizing. It is bureaucratic. It is ableist, very racist. It is expensive and it's just impossible. It is enough to give you a mental health crisis to try and navigate with someone you love having a mental health crisis or an addiction problem. The fact that we just accept that people are supposed to like until they're at risk of murdering someone, they should just suffer in their home with no access to mental health care, no access to drugs that people use to eventually wean themselves off of harder opioids like methadone. Having access to drugs like that in order to make withdrawal not be as egregious as we see it happen for Rue in episode five is really horrible. I think the show really does an excellent job depicting how painful and traumatic it is 
to just be in a family like blighted by addiction because that's the way addiction functions. It cannot happen in a vacuum. Addiction always spreads in terms of the damage it's able to create. And sometimes that damage is overwhelming for the loved ones of addicts. Euphoria tackled that aspect too. In episode seven, when Leslie says basically like, Rue, I'm, I'm done with you. I need to focus on Gia. I give up. Hey. You want to kill yourself doing drugs? Go ahead. I'm not going to stand in your way. <laughs> what? What? That's exciting to what? you, huh? <laughs> Being a crackhead? I just feel like there's a catch here. I can't convince you that your life is important. You're going to have to make that decision on your own. You'll be 18 soon and out of my house. And you're going to make whatever decisions you're going to make. I'm taking you off my plate. Okay. I'm going to focus on Gia. If I have to choose between losing one daughter or two, I'm going to fight to save her. Which is a really harsh thing to say, for sure. The feelings are also complicated that come up when you're watching somebody do this to themselves. There's really no right answer. You're not given any help. And you have to watch someone you love slowly die until they get to the point where the state arbitrarily decides they're worthy of not dying. So to see that depiction of Leslie and Gia and, like, the way that people in Rue's life are trying so hard to fight for her and, like, it's wearing them down slowly but surely just feels very true to life. For Lexi, the conversation about euphoria doesn't stop at the way the show portrays addiction. They said the show also sparks a conversation about harm reduction. So harm reduction is essentially the idea that instead of saying that the end goal for an addict or someone suffering with addiction is inherently sobriety, that instead the end goal can just be survival in a way that is minimizing pain, suffering, whether that's physical or emotional, spiritual, right? And you've probably heard of harm reduction efforts. Clean needle exchange programs where addicts can get clean syringes without fear of getting in trouble for using drugs are an example. The idea is rather than just focusing on getting people to stop doing drugs, there are ways to make sure they're doing them in a way that minimizes unsafe health conditions and death. To be clear, Euphoria is not a show that's necessarily advocating harm reduction policies, but it does take a harm reductionist approach to telling Rue's story. Rue struggles and fails to get clean for much of the show, but she's not sent away or killed off. The show doesn't try to punish her for being an addict beyond the consequences she inflicts on herself. Instead, she's presented as a character who continues to be worth redemption. Rue's a great example of this because she doesn't have a lot of hope. She doesn't seem excited about the possibility of going to college. Everything just is horrible and dominated by this core trauma that she lived through. Her dad dying, which is being spun out by her addiction. We accept like a really weird range of coping mechanisms in society, right? Like, it's okay to like blow off steam by getting really drunk at the weekend after work. Or it's okay to overexercise yourself because you're burning off stress. We're like moralizing the way that people are coping with their mental health in this country in a way that ultimately isn't really serving anybody. It's certainly clear that incarcerating addicts because of possession or distribution is not actually saving people's lives. Like Michael K. Williams, who died a few months ago. 
Michael K. Williams was an actor known for his roles on The Wire and Lovecraft Country. He died of a heroin and fentanyl overdose last year. The actor had talked publicly about his struggles with addiction. There was a big deal of the person who I think he got the drugs from was arrested recently. And that was presented as some like great win for people living with addiction. And it's actually like, that's not what stops people from having addiction. That's not what stops people from overdosing necessarily. Harm reduction is essentially the concept that what if we actually just wanted people to live and have autonomy and be able to survive in a way that feels good to them? Because otherwise, you're allowing people to kill themselves. And the alternative could simply be, in the case of somebody like Rue who has opioid addiction, being able to transition to a lower level and like more easily controlled substance. But functionally, it just is about not punishing people for something that they can't really control. Addiction is not something that you can necessarily wake up and be like, cool, I'm over it. So why would we punish somebody for something that obviously is hurting them too in the way that it's functioning? And while that might sound like a reasonable argument for harm reduction, the way that plays out in real life politics is complicated. In 2021, the Biden administration signed a plan into law that allocated $30 million to harm reductionist programs. These programs are designed to distribute clean needles and other supplies and provide meds like naloxone that can stop an opioid overdose while it's happening. But everyone doesn't agree that this is a good thing. Some right-wing commentators and politicians started pushing the narrative that the administration was allocating $30 million for crack pipes. The Biden administration allocating $30 million to distribute crack pipes to drug addicts, all in the name of racial equity. And while providing clean pipes to addicts to cut down the spread of disease was one of the qualifying programs, it wasn't the only one. Nevertheless, the Biden administration gave in and barred programs from providing clean pipes. The Democrats basically caved. They were like, yeah, you're right. We don't want to give out crack pipes. When the actual harm reductionist response about their harm reduction funding would have been to be like, sure, we're going to throw in crack pipes. So everyone is just chicken. Things are just changing. Whether or not they like it, the death toll for addiction is simply too high for people to keep tolerating this. For Lexi, harm reduction isn't just a hypothetical that plays out in national politics or on a gritty television show about teenagers. It's about real life. There was a safe injection center planned for a neighborhood near where Lexi grew up in Philly. The site was going to be a place where people could come and consume drugs under the watch of medical professionals. There were resources planned for people who wanted to get clean, but that wasn't the focus. The aim was to prevent opioid overdoses, which are a major problem in that neighborhood. Critics of the center protested the idea. They thought it was condoning drug use and that having a place for addicts to do drugs would only increase problems in the neighborhood. The issue eventually went to the courts and the center was blocked from being built. And that neighborhood happened to be the place where Lexi's cousin went to buy drugs. The day she died last summer, went to Kensington, which is where her methadone clinic was. So she got her methadone there and then also got more drugs while she was in Kensington from somewhere else. And then overdosed in her house that night. And uh, I just feel like, what if she had had someone in that process to like check and make sure she was going to be okay. You know what I mean? Like check and be like, hey, don't take these two things at the same time. Or like be like, hey, do you have clean needles? Or like, hey, what if you make sure you do that with someone else when you go home? So like, not that it's anybody's fault necessarily. Like any, it's not like 
I, it's hard to predict what could have saved her life, but I know having more people looking out for her, especially during a pandemic where most people are really isolated and like are all taking care of each other and are kind of at their wits end. I think having at least one more stop gap in the process might have helped, you know, I don't know. It just feels like, like a waste that that, that had to go like that. Of course, Lexi can't say for sure if the supervised injection site would have changed things for their cousin. But they do wonder. For a lot of people who've dealt with addiction personally or through a loved one, euphoria sparks conversations about the way we see and treat addiction. And that can be cathartic. But the show doesn't get it all right. Euphoria is based on the life of its creator, Sam Levinson. He's talked about how he uses his experience as a drug-addicted teenager to write the show. Personally, writing about my own experiences and my, my battles with addiction as a teenager becomes therapeutic in a way. This show can't be written by anyone else because it's so personal. Levinson's been praised for his realistic depiction of drugs and addiction in this generation. But there are some notable differences between him and the character Rue. Levinson is a straight, white man who grew up pretty well off. His dad is famous director Barry Levinson. Rue is a queer, biracial teenage girl with a Black mother and middle-class upbringing. A lot of times, the opioid crisis is represented as something that only affects white men living in rural America. And so it's a good thing that euphoria turns that notion on its head, especially since opioid overdose deaths are on the rise among Black Americans. And while there are some things that are universal about addiction, the way the world treats people who are addicted isn't one of them. Race is never mentioned in Euphoriaville, despite the main character being a teenager of color. We don't see Rue face legal consequences for her actions, although we know Black people are more likely to be charged with crimes. We don't see Rue get in trouble for coming to school visibly high, even though we know Black students are more likely to be suspended from school. We don't ever see social services called on Rue's family, although we know that Black families are more likely to have social services get involved when there's a perceived problem. We see Rue struggle with addiction, but we don't see how that struggle might be more complicated for people of color. Levinson is the sole writer for pretty much all of the episodes. Critics think that's his blind spot. Euphoria could be so great if he would just let anyone else write it. Like, he doesn't have to be off the writing team, but the fact that he's the only writer for every episode, I think just really hamstrings the show. But I do think that people wouldn't be so frustrated if they knew for sure that he was trying to listen to other people's perspectives when he was writing these things. I think the things I specifically asked for in the piece were like, I would love for the show to publicly partner with a Black-led harm reduction group. I think there's so much that could be done now very easily to like accommodate those criticisms. And it just seems like he's super resistant, which I find perplexing. I think it is obviously like a moral good that he looked at his own story and was like, maybe a white guy who was the son of a very famous director and like had all of his experiences with addiction filtered through that doesn't need to be the face of addiction. I totally agree. But like, if that's what you're going to do, then maybe you should have the foresight to understand that you can't be the only person dictating where that story goes. How would you like to see them tackle addiction and recovery next season? I think Euphoria is at its best when it does make room for seeing things you've never seen before. I think that's that's why we're talking, right? Like, that's like what is exactly the, what happened with the depiction of Bruce addiction. There doesn't have to be one avenue for, like, 
recovery. And consequently, I would like to see that shared as a possibility, like that it doesn't have to be Rue going to NA with Ali every week. Maybe they could show Rue like going to the methadone clinic and what that experience is like. Or maybe they could show Rue just having open conversations. Rue experiencing like emotional growth. Wouldn't that be radical? Like the possibility that like somebody who has an addiction like can still like change and grow. So I think there's a lot of fertile ground. I just would like to see a little bit of humility on Sam Levinson's part. I just don't know if he has the range and that's okay. That's not a moral failing. It's just like, take some help. That's the whole practice of harm reduction. Let's help each other instead of thinking that we have to fix ourselves all on our own. That's it for us today. I'm Bridget Armstrong, host and senior producer of the show. But I work with the wonderful team who make these episodes possible. Alicia Key is the show's producer. Andrew Calloway is our senior engineer. And this week, he had help from Ellie McAfeehan. Graylin Brashear is the senior director of audio. Thanks to Lexi McMiniman for talking to me. You can check out their piece on Euphoria at teenvogue.com. We'll also have a link in the show notes. We'll be back next week with an all-new episode. And in the meantime, be sure to rate, subscribe, and tell a friend. 